how do we realize worthwhile ideas in the world? Define a goal, create a plan, build a great team. You know, that's the way, isn't it? That's how we're told to do it. How about instead uh, we listen to what we're really called to do? In this episode, we talk to Tom Nixon, founder of Maptio, a tool for mapping the structure of 21st century organisations, and also author of Working with Source, a book about how creative endeavours really come to life. In this conversation, we focus on the role of the source of a creative initiative. We are all potential sources that can manifest businesses, projects, or organisations that create social impact. The important thing is to remember that it isn't the money or our ego that drives these initiatives, but our creative needs. When we're clear about what that need is, then it's easier to sense into what to do next and who can help. It takes a great deal of self-awareness and clarity to make sure you don't overplay your position of authority as source, so that you can get the support you need and not get driven by ego or fear. Most people believe that businesses are created in order to make money. Tom, well, he believes that business, uh, the best businesses really, are created to satisfy this creative need, and then it takes founders who understand their role as source to make those businesses thrive and make impact. Listen on to learn more about how this source stuff works. The thing that I'm really interested in is is how we how we realise worthwhile ideas in the world. So as I, although I wrote this book, Work with Source, that looks like it's about developing organisations and about leadership, and it's certainly related to all that stuff. More than anything, it's about how do we take things from these ideas of new things that we feel like the world needs to have in it, or changes that we want to make to the systems that we live in. How do we take that from idea to reality? And that's really what I focus on. But really, yeah, I guess I'm a founder and an entrepreneur. Uh, at heart, I had a consulting company for many years, which I closed about six years ago now, I think it was. And that was like my MBA in business, building a company, growing it, leaving it, coming back, turnarounds, closing it, the whole works really. And that was really how I got interested in the, the special role that founders play in all of this. And there's something about being a founder that's not quite the same as just being a shareholder or being a CEO. There's something about the fact that this is your creative project. There's a thing that you're trying to change in the world or a thing you're trying to, to bring into the world. So I got really interested in that from my own experience. Um, and then got introduced to the research by a guy called Peter Koenig, whose work my book is based on, about the special role of a person who's holding a vision and bringing it to life. So most of my work revolves around that. So I work as a coach advisor to, to founders, and I have a software startup as well called Maptio, which helps organizations who are finding ways to work without traditional management hierarchy to visualize what they're doing in the absence of an old school org chart. One of the things that I've been fascinated by your work, and when I thought about business, early days it was like okay it's this thing that makes money yeah start a business because then as a founder of a business you get to make money without doing the work yeah. uh, so my dad said become a boss employ people they do the work and then you can just sit back and uh, maybe tell them what to do and then you get some money I, I assume that's a picture that people might have a lot of people mm -hmm. particularly those who don't run businesses might think about business building on what i said in my introduction there is that when we think about like a business what is a business is it ultimately an organization is it about having a bank account that you try not to ever let it go to zero or to try and forever just earn more more and more and for me the framing is about seeing all of these things ultimately as creative endeavors so it's more like seeing it as an 
art project almost. It's what's the thing I'm creating? Like what's the masterpiece that's being produced here? And really having that at the heart of how you approach business or life or your nonprofit, whatever it is, is really powerful. And sometimes that stuff is placed secondary. So some people will say, okay, we're a business. Oh, and we now need to define our mission or we now need to define the purpose of the business. And for me, that's the wrong way around. It's mostly what am I actually feeling like I'm here to do? What's the potential for something new that I'm sensing and putting that at the heart of it? And then you might certainly do some businessy stuff. You might well build and sell products and services or whatever it may be. But ultimately, it's always in service of the creativity. And so I think that's why I always say the primary job of a founder, it's at its heart, it's a creative role because you're responsible for stewarding some kind of vision for something that's that's coming into the world. And then the other side of it is about money. So we've had some yeah fun chats about money over the years. And that's what part three of the book is about our relationship to money. And what you see in the world of, of founders and creative initiatives of all kinds is often a swing in one of two directions. Often with businesses, there's a real emphasis on money and on making money. But what's really going on under the surface of that is people are chasing some kind of power that they're projecting onto the money. So no one really is motivated by money, but they're saying that money is power, money is success, money is freedom, money is security, and on and on and on. And that's what they're really going after. And that reduces the creativity because how interesting is it to work in something where it's really about a founder desperately trying not to be insecure. Who cares? Let's work for the founders who are who don't give a shit about being insecure and are secure with and without money, who want to do something really interesting in the world. That's what has energy behind it. But then also sometimes it's the opposite. And you see this in many not non-profit and other endeavors where they, they're very clearly not trying to to do it just for the money but often they're pushing the money away and maybe some of you can share this in the chat is have you or people you've seen had a story that there's something evil or dirty or bad or a bit wrong about money and that's not healthy either because it ain't the money that's bad or wrong it's the story you're projecting onto it and so equally you can see frustrated founders who never realize their idea because often unconsciously they're pushing money away i've tried badly to explain this to friends i think when people say Oh, you work with entrepreneurs. Like you said, it sounds like a chase for money and you're just helping people make more money. And I find it hard to articulate that feeling of it is a creative pursuit. Like you said, it's an expression of yourself mm. as a human and what you want to bring to the world. And so the idea of entrepreneurship as creativity to me just makes perfect sense because I think there's always something deeper than money for people, isn't there? In terms of what's making them do something that's actually really difficult to do and scary to most people and that they still do it despite the fear, despite the anxiety maybe around what that might mean. And I think it starts even before we start thinking about business. It starts with how we see ourselves and our place in the world. And that's where the use of this word source, which is probably sounds bizarre to anyone who's completely new to this subject, where that comes from. But, you know, the way I think about this is that all of us, every single human has the ability to be what we call a source. And that just means someone who's living a creative life, someone who can have ideas and who can start a process or work on a process to make an idea a reality. And in some ways that can be a developmental leap because many people are in more of an employee mindset. They want to do work that they enjoy with people they like and they want to get paid a fair salary for it. And they want to be set clear objectives and not be micromanaged. And that's fair enough. But there is the potential in all of us to be able to be a source, to actually source ideas and, and bring them into the world. And that's really my starting point in the book is thinking about ourselves 
as creative beings that we that we all are all have the potential to be and then it might be that the way we manifest a particular idea might be using some of the things that we call business but as i said earlier that's that's ultimately secondary and i think and a big part of my work with founders is keep bringing them back where they're like okay i'm a ceo maybe i need to do a bit more work defining my accountabilities as a ceo and it's like don't major on that, like major on how you keep sensing into the vision and how you keep taking the next step and retain that sort of wild creativity as the thing grows. And I think that's what you will see in most of the, if you think of your favorite inspiring founders out there in the world, I think of people like Gail Brabrook, founder of Extinction Rebellion, or Yvonne Srinath, the, um, the Patagonia founder, you know, Elon Musk for all of his strengths and weaknesses. You can't deny that his creative lid is absolutely off and he's just insanely passionate about realizing your vision as well as having many shadows and problematic aspects to himself but um... yeah no i'm you're really curious about the the creativity side of things and actually what resonated when you're talking about was doing what you love with people you enjoy that's how i used to describe spook studio it's like why am Mm. i working with others because i want to do work i love with people i like working with the people i want to work for and that felt good and i got paid for it Mm. and that was like yeah but i i wasn't i was going to be honest I don't know if I had a vision for that. I think for us, it was only when we started to explore the Happy Startup School as a not just an idea and a side project, but actually something that we could spend our lives devoted to. We then took a st- step back to understand what was it we set out to do when we started Spook Studio. And that became really challenging to unpick conversations we'd had five years before about why we were doing this and who started it. I remember Charlie saying, yeah. who actually started this? We're like, we started it. We even found like an old base camp thread where we're trying to work out the name and Carlos came up with a name and then I ran away with it and started creating some assets around it and some ideas and stuff. But then Charlie was like, who took the first step? Who took the initiative to, to actually make it happen? And it was like, we did. Like, no, no one, mm. you can't do things together. Someone had the vision for it. And, and that was the bit that I found difficult, particularly with when we look back at Spook Studio, because that was years before to think of conversations that you couldn't actually remember what was true and what was the story we tell in talks or to each other. Um, mm. But going through that work with you and Charlie really helped to understand, A, how this process works and why it's important, but also B, how it can, rather than be, I'm the boss and you're my supporter, it can be really freeing because yeah. it actually opens up possibility to making this vision broader and more, more rich. In the case of you guys in the Happy Startup School, it was breaking through this cosy story that we're just two co-founders together creating a thing. And yeah, Peter Koenig's kind of breakthrough concept was to say, actually, in any human endeavor to realize any kind of idea, from a business to a, a theater production to organizing a holiday, you actually find one individual in a slightly different role to anybody else. And that's what we call the role of source for that initiative. And they do, they have a, just a slightly, actually a profoundly different different relationship to the initiative than anybody else even people who other people who are there right from the start and it seems to be that it's because when we first take a first step to really invest ourselves in realizing an idea when an idea moves out of the world of things we might possibly do and you start actually working on realizing the idea that takes real vulnerability to take that step and it can be very powerful to identify who it was who did that And you find that that person has a very intimate, natural connection with the creative endeavor that's unfolding. And that was, I remember the three of us in in the beach house down at at Yellow Wave on the seafront telling the story of Mm. the studio and then the Happy Startup School. And yeah, we talked about this idea, how it was Lawrence, who was the one who was really holding the creative vision for that. 
And that's that's a, a dangerous thing to introduce. And luckily, Carlos had the maturity to realise that this wasn't a thing that diminished him in the slightest. He was just acknowledging the natural order things had happened. Carlos is diminished in many other ways. But the point was that there was this relationship that, that actually, it was like Lawrence had started to birth an idea, but needed Carlos's powers. Because Lawrence is, is a super creative guy. And Carlos is like this kind of like logistical powerhouse. He can actually make shit happen in a way that Lawrence can't necessarily actually Put that do. on your LinkedIn profile. Logistical yeah. powerhouse, trademark. Yeah. Although it can feel uncomfortable and some people will really reject this, particularly lots of people who work in the field that I do, generating more participatory organizations that aren't based on traditional management hierarchy. You start saying to people, there's one person in a special role and, the, and the, it's like blasphemy to them. Yeah. But sometimes they come back even years later and go, oh, actually, I see it now. And this is not about us fighting over who gets to be the king around here. It's just acknowledging that someone opened up a process and somebody else stepped in to help them. And that, that can cause quite a lot of breakthroughs, actually, in, in how you go about actually making a success. I found that conversation really challenging. Mm -hmm. And it's because I, well, a, my ego really got in the way, even though I might not have expressed it. It was very much like, fucking hell, I don't want to be underneath someone. Yeah, And it's because I had a picture in my head of the triangle, the hierarchical triangle, someone mm. on the top and someone on the bottom. But actually, I think now I, I feel more comfortable with it because of this idea of the circle. And this idea of there are, and I, I think it's really landed for me more with when we started talking about kind of common values. Mm. Uh, when we talk about the happy startup school, we talk about learning, play, and friendship. And I have my own circle that I want to play in, the things that I want, the things, you know, and this is where that whole having people, working with people I like, doing things I like, things I like are creative, solutionizing, structure, th these things but they're within this parameter of this other place of actually this other creative space that Lawrence has defined. Mm -hmm. And so there, when I'm thinking about in terms of that, it's a playpen within a playpen. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is my playpen. And luckily enough, it's within another playpen that Lawrence is more broadly defined for himself. And given that way of thinking about it, it feels like that I have ownership of something rather than I'm following someone. I was reading this book and it was talking about everyone needs a Lennon or John Lennon to a Paul McCartney. They wouldn't have had, the Beatles wouldn't have been the Beatles without each other. Yeah. And they were saying how Paul McCartney made some terrible songs after he left the Beatles because he didn't have <laughs> Lennon to pull him in, to rein him in. And so that idea of, I think the Happy Start Vision came to life by us going back and forth in terms mm -hmm. of shaping it. And so my vision became clearer because it was there was feedback at all times and it was a shared creative process yeah. know, to get to that point. And, it wouldn't and I want to <laughs> demystify this idea of like, all right, one person is one very specific role and they can't do anything else. And the other person is another specific role. Mm. They can't do anything else because you can take it's a spectrum like I think. and you can make it, but it's also a proclivity. Yeah. I think. It's about what you're drawn to more. And because if we define it, that Lawrence is the creative person that can't make things happen. Does that mean I'm the, the person who makes things happen but has no ideas. Mm. And that's, I think, that's damaging. Because actually, that, I don't know if you've read the Rocket Fuel, that book, but they talk about the co founding team as having the visionary and the integrator. That's the language they use around this. Yeah. And, and they describe it as more of a, 
a spectrum and you can play both roles, but it's where you naturally sit. And so not seeing this very defined, like I said, Carlos can't start a new project because I'm the one who has the vision for all the creative projects that come out. This sparks loads of things. And I think um, this is one of the common pushbacks that we get is that it can seem like you're somehow diminishing the person who's not the source. But actually, that's a misunderstanding of how this works. So what I would say to someone like Carlos or anyone else in their initiative where you're like, oh, I'm realizing that I'm not the source. I stepped into a field that somebody else had opened up is that actually what I would encourage Carlos to do is to really be clear on what his personal journey through life is all about with or without Lawrence and with or without the happy startup school and his his primary loyalty should be towards that not saying well just because Lawrence was the source I now just have to follow him blindly as like a second in, in command that just wouldn't be it in the slightest but if Carlos is doing that then he can say well, to what extent do I want to step into that field and sometimes what you with co-founders they go I'll step into a certain extent but I'm also going to have this side project over here which is nothing to do with you and in the round with the side project plus the thing we're doing together they feel fully creatively Mm. satisfied and i also agree with what you guys said is that just to build on that slightly is that it can be contextual as well within the big the bigger overall field of that we call the happy startup school there are all kinds of major initiatives happening with happening within that from summer camp being an initiative to different products and services and things that you're doing and so within it you will both at different times be the source for more specific projects mm-hmm. which form part of the whole and so mm-hmm. at different times you'll be yeah in that role of sourcing something or being or supporting the other and it can be really helpful to know which way around things are. So it's quite an illuminating process when you sit down with co-founders and go, let's list out all of our initiatives and projects and all the things we're doing. And not just from a formal perspective, go, right, who do we want to hold to account for this? So who did this really come from? And you start to notice going, oh, yeah, that was my thing. That was a thing mm. that I had this real passion to do. And I said, should we do this? And you said, yes. And it's, that means I'm the source for that. And that person can step into that creative role of authorship over that part of the thing so we do yeah we're all we can all be sources and we, it's about yeah knowing noticing whether you're stepping into something or inviting other people in to help you and i quickly i just say i've found that it's been taken a while i would say for i remember when we first transitioned to this new business that we were college was like i don't really know what my role is here like i need my role in spook it was quite clear we had a kind of way of working a way of doing projects that was pretty consistent And I remember you saying, what what, what do I do? I can't build stuff anymore. There's nothing to build. But it feels like the last few years have been a lot more fluid in terms of, yeah, you've been able to play, like you said, within this playground that becomes your own then. Mm. On that, there's a letting go of an identity. There's a transition there. And when we closed Spook Studio, I remember Charlie introducing us to Victor. Can you pronounce his second name? Victor Lysel. Victor Lysel. He is a ritual designer and yeah. I've learned, I, I, at the time did not appreciate it, but this whole idea of transition and, and marking a transition and the closing the door of one thing and opening the door on the other. So at one level, I think there was a real important aspect to doing that for Spook Studio, closing Spook Studio and opening up Happy Startup School. Mm-hmm. But a real personal level, I think it was really important to actually close this role as technical director, programmer, person who makes code to then what next and i think that was a real challenge not having done that closure so that's Mm. one thing the other thing that springs to mind was this when we were running spook studio i had this real need to feel like everyone within the company was 
a source in those i didn't have those words but was mm. they were satisfying a creative need or some kind of they were getting something out of the being with us other than the work but i found that really hard mm. because a lot of the people we worked with didn't know what it was and they were just there yeah. to make money and i've noticed that the more freedom we gave people the more panicked some of them got because they had no idea what to do yeah, this is such an important point. And it's you know, super crude and sometimes dangerous to categorize people into two boxes. But let's do that anyway. And just say that some people really are ready in their lives to really step into being to being a source. And they can do that at work. You can make that your place where you're doing the work that's meaningful to you. And you can spot those people inside organizations because you have a conversation about what's your bigger creative journey in life all about? What sense of purpose do you have? What's your life's work? And you'll probably have a great conversation with them and then to other people that would be really overwhelming like you said carlos you give people that kind of freedom to think that big and they don't know what to do with it but it's not because they can't it's just they haven't stepped into it yet and it can be overwhelming if you expect them to and a lot of well-meaning creative founders do this because they themselves are really creative and ready and they know and they believe that everybody can be rightly they think that everyone is ready which is not true mm. so that's one box of people and then the other box of people is the ones that are more like employees and it's nothing to do with their intelligence or their skills and these can be some of the best people that you have and will, can play a vital role in, in manifesting the vision. You can give these people a really challenging long-term objective and just say, can you make this thing happen? And they'll, and, they'll, and they'll do it. But if you start saying to them, how do we connect this to your personal sense of purpose? It may be too much. And even though it's a crude categorization, just starting to be aware of broadly which people fall into which category. And then therefore, how can we help meet them where they are and give them what they need and not expect too much or too little of them? Because if you treat mm. them as a source, like an employee and start being like, okay, let's talk about your quarterly objectives, they're instantly going to feel stifled. Whereas if you tell them to bring in something really powerful that they want to do, you'll probably get the most mm. out of them. <laughs> I'm curious, Carlos, going like, how does it work at Nixon McKinnis, your company, you know, at the time, because you guys had such a democratic environment to work mm. in, you gave a lot of autonomy to the people that worked in the company. And I think I was always curious, just like, how does that actually work? Not just on the kind of story level, which sounds great, but or theory level. But when, like you said, when you give people that amount of agency, when they're not maybe expecting it is that actually something that they're willing to take on and how does it actually play out in reality yeah we we got loads of stuff right and wrong at nixon Nix mckinnis and that was the learning ground for most of my journey there i didn't know about any of this stuff and we were just winging it and then yeah towards the end we were starting to get the hang of it a bit more and then in the end decided the best thing to do was to close the company and let new things emerge in its place and spin out our, our conference meaning into a new into a brand new initiative and close the old so i don't even know if nixon mckinnis is the best case study but where i do see it working really well is allowing people and so with some of the clients i work with now what we do is we allow people who really want to so this is on a totally voluntary opt-in basis mm. do a little bit of work to help them get clear on what their work is what they're trying to do with or without the company and so we find the sources basically and we don't exclude anyone from it we don't force it on anybody at all and then when those people start to get that sense of personal clarity then they can find okay what am i going to do here and sometimes that can 
can help a founder say, ah, I've got just the thing for you. There's this idea. Is this a thing you want to just grab a hold of? It's not an objective. It's just a sort of a creative part of the whole. And sometimes someone will step up and they'll realize that how doing that thing is part of their bigger journey in life. Well, sometimes the founder doesn't even need to do anything. They've just opened the field and said, come and play here. A bit like you described when things have been working well for you guys and say, what ideas have you got? And someone says, oh, I want to start an event or I want to start a program or a product like this. And the founder might be like, holy shit, that is totally in scope. And, And if the founder's holding it really well, they might not even need to say that. They might just, people might just know, they might just sense it. And they get on with doing their own thing. I mean, I'll give you a really specific example of this is that WL Gore Associates, the company famous for its Gore-Tex material. Now, I've never heard them saying that they consciously work with source, but they really are doing it there. They have this principle at Gore called leadership by followership. And an example of this was an engineer who was also a guitar player. and, And he just had the full freedom, as they all do at Gore, to just play around in their labs and with all the materials that they've got. So they have these like world-class engineers and materials scientists and it's like a playground for inventors basically and this guy was like i wouldn't it be fun to just try all kinds of different polymers and materials as guitar strings and so he had the full freedom just to do that and then he started finding some things that worked really well and in fact were working even better than the stuff you could buy in the shops and so he had the freedom to do that and so that he was able to just lead and start sourcing something there And then the way it works there is that ideas get traction based on whether other people choose to follow it. So he didn't then take this upper chain of command and write a business case for a guitar string pilot project or or division in the business, but just said to other people, I've got a cool idea here. I'm working on this. Who else is in? And then other people are like, that's really cool. I'm up for I'm up for that. And then slowly this multi-million dollar guitar string business that Gore created started to emerge. And then likewise, when people aren't behaving like a good source, then other people can just leave. It's a bit like Twitter in a way. You choose who to follow and then you can just unfollow them and start your own initiative or follow something something else. So actually what they've done, what the genius of what they've done there is actually to create a setup where people can work with source because you can step into creating something new or you can just be a follower and just go, someone's doing something really interesting. You can go and talk to them, offer your skills and say, is there any part of this? Do you want to set me an objective to help you? And they'll do that. So I have a lot of our community and people who follow our work. They may be at the early stage of a business or the, the process of growing it. And so the way I interpret the Gore story is there's already quite a successful business model there. So there's a level of stability uh, and safety in terms of money. (laughs) Come on to that. But there's a business model there. Mm. I'm wondering at a very early stage or semi-early stage where you're still trying to make that jump to a sustainable, basically, you're not worrying about the money every month or you feel like, are you able to pay yourself and stuff? So... If you have this space of creativity and you have people in there who who are coming up with ideas, but you also still need to move in a certain direction Mm. in order to achieve some tangible goals. So it starts with pure creativity. And one of the new lenses that I'm starting to use more and more by working with my colleague, Fanny uh, Norlin, who's one of the leading lights in the Swedish feminine leadership movement. And what she's helped me to understand is that 
creativity starts from this really wild kind of feminine energy like it's like the the witch or the wild woman archetypes or in the, even the seductress like there's almost something like sexual about creativity and and that's where it begins and that doesn't necessarily have to be embodied in a female person we're all capable of it but there's something very feminine about the um the start of the creative process but that alone isn't the thing that manifests a vision and you need this blend of masculinity and femininity in order to realize ideas so some of the masculine archetypes like the warrior and the hero which too often are over biased towards entrepreneurs so you look at yeah some of the famous iconic particularly male founders someone like elon musk again you could say he's got that kind of like hero entrepreneur vibe about him which actually although it's very creative it goes off on this quest to conquer something or create something new and bring something back to the world based on, on the old myths is also quite juvenile as well and sometimes these entrepreneurs are not actually fully grown up as men they're kind of men boys and so they need sometimes a different sort of of power like a more of a, like a king archetype so a very adult grown up masculine energy to them that can hold space and hold ground as well as other female feminine archetypes as well i don't know like the wise woman archetype or the caregiver and so we need all of these things working together and the, the best understanding i have it now is actually it's ultimately in service of the feminine and that's why even in the book when i refer to people in the role of source i always use female pronouns because to me it has this powerful feminine energy to it which i can start to understand it's harder for me as a man but i think we can often sense it so you need yeah all of that stuff and a book you mentioned mm. earlier rocket fuel gino wickman's book it starts to allude to some of this stuff like you're putting together the creative and then the the logistics kind of person and you can see how that almost has a slightly feminine and masculine vibe to it but it's it doesn't have quite the full rich depth to it i'll just have a quick question about like we talk about this link to money and creativity and i'm working with a few people at the moment who really struggle to as soon as they're thinking of their ideas so there is something creative that's wanting to come out in their head they just can't switch off the money piece in terms of mm. i just can't see how this is going to make money so they kill it before it's even been yeah. realized and I, i'm wondering if there's a, a tip for anyone who's at that point of thinking like and my feeling is always the money will come but it, that doesn't help when someone's thinking yeah. or they've been trained to think that if something's not viable or doesn't appear to be viable from day one then it's not worth pursuing yeah there are a few aspects to this one that i would caution against is i don't believe this myth that says if you just follow what you're passionate about then that's the best way for you to make loads of money hmm. sometimes that works sometimes it it doesn't work because we live in a particular socioeconomic system and i think the startup world is littered with products that the founders absolutely love and are super passionate hmm. about but it doesn't have a market hmm. and you can't just say if i just keep doubling down on what i'm passionate about then eventually i'll make money i just don't believe that, that always works but your passion can sustain you to find a market and think which audience or customer group do i care enough about to solve some sort of problem or give them some precious gift um because you have to yeah, interact with the outside world so i think that's the thing to be cautious of but also being it's so vulnerable to be a founder and it's funny like in my world i have these two modes i can either like be here chatting to you guys about the book or i'll be coaching someone else but i can talk about these ideas and help other people with them until the cows come home and it's it's not actually that vulnerable but when i'm in my startup mode i have an early stage startup i'm like oh my god i've put my creative idea on the line it might never work i've got investors now and i really want to do the right thing and see them rewarded and it is really vulnerable 
And money gets wrapped up in that. So I can start to feel like I'm not good enough. Am I successful or, or not? Am I worthy? And that's more of an inner journey. So with customers, it's about listening and it's about how you engage with the world outside of yourself, how I deal with my own insecurity or my own sense of worth that I might project onto money. That's a thing I have to deal with. And that can stop some people. You guys see this all the time. People who just can't bring themselves to leave their comfortable, well-paid corporate job because they feel desperately insecure without the salary. And so that means not focusing on money, but focusing on security and insecurity. And I'll give you a quick example of this. Of uh, I won't name names, but it's a founder that you and I both know. When we talked about their story about money being security, and then we looked at where security really came from. And they talked about their their upbringing and their childhood and actually living in, in real poverty, actually, to the extent of not being able to always afford electricity and having to eat by candlelight in the evenings, that kind of level of poverty in the UK as well. It's more common elsewhere. And then, and that was, so there was this big feeling of money is secure. We didn't have any, we didn't have any money and that had a very real impact on us. And then when we probed it a bit more deeply and said, well, when did you feel secure and where does security really came from? And suddenly they remembered these really secure moments of the family playing board games by candlelight in the evening and feeling the love of the family. And that starts to reprogram a story that actually my security is not just about money or maybe not even at all about money and I can be secure with and without it. So that's why, even though some people said when they read the book that those last few chapters in part three about money, it felt like a separate book because it was definitely a shift in tone and focus. Mm. But you can't get away from it because you can't talk to a founder for more than a few minutes before they start talking about money in some way or another. We have to get underneath our personal story about it so that we don't stop ourselves being creative out of fear and so that we can, yeah, we can do the things we want to do and and feel secure either way. So one of the things that, crops up a lot in the 2020 vision program that we've got when we talk about money it's very I, it needs to look after itself i don't want to worry about it mm. so it's it's not the focus but at the same time there is something around it needs to work on its own somehow mm. and when i match it to this idea of creativity or doing a creative project uh, and you're talking about insecurity this feeling of safety is like how is my physical safety, in a sense, going to be affected by doing this creative work that is uncertain? Mm. If I do this and, I, put, and it, I don't know if it's going to make any money, immediately, and, he, and this is my story, but I assume a lot of people have this story, I'm going to pay the mortgage, I'm going to get food on the table, and what are my friends, family going to think if this doesn't mean I can meet the needs of mm. my family as well as my own physical needs through this project? Yeah. So I, I really sense that risk of, okay, I love this idea, but is it really the right thing to do? Is it a good thing to do? Yeah, so two main things to say to this. And the first is we do have to really acknowledge the role of privilege in all of this because if someone like me, who was lucky enough to go to university, you know, I'm like a you know white middle-aged guy, for me to say, oh, people just shouldn't have to worry, it'll be totally fine. It's okay, well, that's fine. That's fine for you, mister. There are structural inequalities and pr- privileges or lack of that people have. So we do have to pay some respect to that. And at the same time, it's very easy to externalize too much. And people say sometimes to me things like, okay, yeah, but what about, I don't know, say a single mother who doesn't have other family and that kind of social safety net around them? And we have to say, yeah, of course, on the one hand, there are structural differences in how they can engage in the world. 
But at the same time, if we say to that person, being really creative, that's not for you. You can't do that. You know, come back to us when you have got a family around you. It's, who are we to say that to that person? In the same way that I, as a sort of a you know, fairly averagely well-off per- person, I'm not a rich guy. If someone said, you're not Bill Gates, you're not a billionaire, so you can't really be someone who can change the world in any way. Come back to me. Well, no, I, I'm not going to give up any of my creative power or ambitions just because I'm not super wealthy. So we do have to be careful about, yeah, still acknowledging the privileges that are there, but not giving away too much each. And there, there is a vast amount you can do. And if, and if we look at, say, Buddhist wisdom, for example, and looking at where your suffering and your insecurities and your stories come from, there is a lot of transformation that can happen within ourselves without having to change a damn thing about our external circumstances. We can shift how we feel and how we relate to ourselves and the world around us. So I encourage people to yeah, work with whatever they've got, with whatever privileges they have or haven't got, do that kind of work and still find some ways to tap into, yeah, creatively what's yours to do in the world. From my perspective on the point of privilege, I think it's acknowledging you have privilege, but not stopping you from using it. <laughs> yeah. Just because I'm privileged doesn't mean I have to feel guilty for not doing it. I think it's really, it's damaging if you're given choices not to be able to take them. Mm. And yeah. I think we, if we stop taking choices because of guilt, then I think that's as damaging. I think we need to acknowledge that we have these advantages and, and I have them as much as both of you, but I also want to be able to know how to use those in the most yeah. powerful way possible. That then for me reflects back on the self-work. And as to be a leader and to be a founder and to be a source, because I was going to relate it to this idea of this creating the boundaries and knowing what's in and what's out or what's the, what's important, because there's a, it feels like a real fine balance. that's also dependent on your ego about how you manage that space. Yeah, there is. And again, it's our old friend inner work here and the ego gets a bad rap these days. And you hear that again in the world I work in around building more progressive and decentralized organizations, people say things like we need to transcend the ego. We need to let the ego go and not have an ego. And it's a human being would essentially psychologically collapse completely. You can't function or get, through the day you need an ego to better say oh i'm hungry and i need to have a meal so an, an, e- an ego in itself is not a problem it's certain aspects of the ego getting carried away with itself or certain shadows in our personality that if someone is not being driven by a creative vision but is being driven by need essentially to make up for a lack of love that they don't have then that's the stuff that's going to get in the way but whenever i see someone who looks really overconfident or egocentric you know i, I look underneath that and think oh what's the insecurity or the fear that person has you know, the huge examples like someone like trump it's like god you know, there was a, a, a pumped up narcissist but then you heard the stuff that was said about his family was it his niece or is what someone in his family who wrote the book was like this is a, a, a man who had a really troubling childhood and he's suffering and that's made him behave the way he is um so yeah both of those aspects are true and we needed to protect the world from him because he was a danger but also actually i felt really i felt a lot of compassion towards him because he needed help like you said he was a man boy I'm curious around when we're talking about, but keeping that well-defined, because you talk about this idea Mm. of uncertainty, like a source has to guard the edges, but also needs to let go so that people can take full responsibility. Mm. But then that leads to it emerging and and involving in an unpredictable way. Yeah. So marrying those two of a clear vision, but then this unpredictability and how that can create life and energy for an initiative yeah and the thing i'd say about that is it can almost be close to a full-time job 
just to be a source and hold the edge of a field and be continuously sensing into what's mm. in, what's out, what's the major next step for this thing as a whole, this new idea that someone trying to start, does this really fit or is this starting a process of kind of entropy that it's going to, you know, be pulled in a thousand different directions and, co- and collapse. And that takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And I think people often don't understand that a big job that founders have to do is not actually what we think of as work. It's not actual doing work. They need to go and spend time on a mountain or in the forest and at summer camp with you guys when we, you're eventually allowed to reopen. And, um, and sometimes that's stuff that fits into the, the feminine archetype as well. It's, we need to be like dancing around a fire and going to art galleries and we need to be doing stuff that awakens us so that we can sense what the edges of this thing is and help to communicate that and give people direction. Because it's a permanent balancing act. Like founders who get too rigid and don't listen enough and they miss opportunities of really cool people coming in and suggesting things that could help the field to expand Mm. in generative ways that if only the source would listen, they would see does actually really work. Mm. But at the same time, if they just start letting everything in, and again, you see this with well-meaning founders who will say things like, just start any project that you think fits here. And it's like, okay, watch how that's going to unfold over a few years. You'll eventually get to a point when you have to then become really top down and rein it all back in, cancel loads of projects because it's got out of control. So it's a permanent dance between guarding the edge in a very top down way and then really letting go and allowing other people to step up and working in that more emergent way where things can start to evolve. I like the point you made about always being aware of uh, guarding the edge and combining that with also reminding why you're doing it and what's... What is it that you're trying to get out? Trying not to be a control freak as well, or that being seen (laughs) as being a control freak. I think controlling, but also being aware of what you're trying to control and what you're trying to control is what I'm getting from you. Yeah, with any of these characteristics that we sometimes throw around, like being a control freak, it's easy to label that as bad. Mm. Well, actually, there's a time and a place to be a control freak when something really needs to be controlled. But where we get stuck is if someone's not able to step out of being a control freak when Mm. letting go is what's needed. And so the work to be it to be a source is about integrating as many different ways of being, like as many different characters or identities that you could possibly play. And sometimes, yeah, be the caregiver and sometimes be the aggressor and sometimes be a, a dictator and sometimes be just like an egalitarian leader. And then really artfully being able to step into whichever character is needed in the moment such that you can hold the space for the vision. Mm. And, it's, and as you do that, you expand your repertoire of how you can show up and how you can behave and you can become almost chameleon like and keep focusing on the vision and doing whatever needs to be done and that's that's a life's work to keep working that stuff because we all have our our biases and our shadows but the more we can work through that stuff the better and um, not expecting ourselves or any other sources we work with to be perfect because it's impossible for anyone to be even close to perfect but just to know that you're committed to the journey so if i was when i'm ever stepping into someone else's initiative just if i know the founder is humble enough to say i will listen to feedback and i will allow people to help me see whether i'm doing too much or too little of one thing or another that's enough for me i'm like i can work with that and I hope they will do the same for me because you're like everyone else, I'm a flawed human being and I screw things up all the time and show up in inappropriate ways and, mm. and, I, will, and I will hopefully improve. As well as holding the space, there's creating space for yourself. That need for space is, is so essential. And I, I would encourage people to see it as two things. So it's partly just about space. The basics like rest and exercise are really mm. 
are really important and and sleep is so foundational to how we can actually get anything done and that's part of it but then it's also not forgetting the sort of wild creative side of it as well so it's like what are you doing to really awaken yourself and stimulate yourself and, and mm. people do that in different ways for me i love installation art like go and put me in some crazy mad huge installation at the tape modern and that really gets my creative juices flowing and I, I need nature and whatever it is for you it's creating space for that and knowing that some people will not understand how that is part of your role as a leader they yeah. just think it's frivolous but actually anyone who's really been a creative founder will know it is a hundred percent essential and i think that's what's been hard about the last you know amongst other much more important things but not having that variety of inputs i found really yeah. i've been out i've probably covered every blade of grass in the south downs in the last 12 months <laughs> but haven't been to an art gallery or bumped into randomness that's yeah. the thing that's is i think so you i can find my ideas just being a bit stale for that reason i think I want to give some space. Also, Tom, this is your shameless promotion part. Anything that you would like people to look out for when it comes to this work that you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Please connect with me on, on LinkedIn or through the socials, running workshops on this stuff where we can go a bit deeper over a couple of hours. I can really walk people through it. But more than anything, I just want to see other people, yeah, just starting to use some of these ideas with or without me and just starting to tap into, yeah, what's mine to create or change in the world and know that regardless of your privilege or your situation in any way, there's always some kind of next step. So just think, what's mine to do and what's my next step with or without money, without anything else? And yeah, and look for the courage to take it. Thank you for listening to our Happy Entrepreneur podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and SoundCloud, or wherever you found this uh, podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about creating a new path for your work and business, a path that feels more meaningful, more purposeful, and more aligned to who you really are then sign up to our newsletter on our website thehappystartupschool.com and you'll receive little nuggets of wisdom stories of experienced entrepreneurs following this more purposeful path and also a little bit of uh, wittering from myself and Lawrence and other useful bits of information and content to keep you inspired keep you engaged and keep you happy Mm-hmm.